So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to another episode of Sober in the States. My name is Chris. I'm a less card guy. I am joined as always by my co-host Nashi. How are you today, Nashi? Doing good, mate. Good. Glad to be with the boys today. Beautiful Sunday. It should be a great week to talk about. And we have a special guest on this week. Uh, a big, big Charlotte fan. Runs the uh, Charlotte podcast as well. The Charlotte so- Charlotte Shocker Show. Uh, please welcome Trippin B. How are you today, Trippin? Hey, what's up, Chris and Chris? Thank you very much for having me. Uh, absolutely honored to be here. Uh, love to listen to the show and can't wait to uh, listen back to this one in my in all my vanity and you know give, give you guys the best episode you've ever had. Love oh. that. And and I, I heard some trash talk before as well that you are the biggest Charlotte collector on the platform as well. So um, some people will uh, will definitely be interested to know that. Um, as you can see, potentially you could see, we are actually going to try this on video. Um, so we're going to try to put this on YouTube so that you guys can also get to see a little bit of us as we do the show as well. So if you are watching or if you are listening on Spotify or Apple, definitely go and check out the YouTube version as well for a little bit more content. But we are going to hop straight into things for today. Um, so there were a bunch of games that went on yesterday. They were all kind of at the same time. So I really only got to watch like one or two. Um, but what did what did you get to see there, Nashi? Start with you. I mean, yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. I um, I started out with a obviously Chicago away at Toronto, and I was I was actually pretty hopeful that we could get a result from that game. You know, like Toronto shown signs of um, doing well, but they're not quite consistent. It was the first time Chicago started with um, Kaspar, Jairo, Mueller, and Shakiri as the front four, and they've really struggled creatively this year. So I was I was hopeful, and it was kind. Of, at the end of it, I end up feeling a bit bittersweet because they did create a lot of chances. They kind of dominated the game, but it just at the end of the day, they've come out losing the game somehow. It's kind of the story of Chicago's season. There's been these signs of promise. These, you know, just as when you get a bit excited, they they turned, they went one 0 down early, turned it around, two one up. Well, here we go. This is the sort of turning point in the season. They're going to kick on now. And then within a space of about 10 minutes, Pozuelo gets a very soft penalty, but he gets a penalty and then scores an absolute worldie. And, um, yeah, we lose the game. I'm kind of, like I said, it's bittersweet because the performance was good. If you look at the stat lines here, Chicago, 33 shots, nine on target, 63% possession away from home. But they lose to a team with five shots, four on target, 37%. And that's kind of, like you said, I don't know where quite a, kind of that falls because it's one of the two things. It's either we just don't have the players to put a ball in the back of the net and it doesn't matter how much creativity Shakiri is delivering and these new guys. Casper really hasn't got going. But, I mean, there's still some optimism there. We've lost the game, but we really need to start getting some results soon in Chicago. Um, 
Yeah, I know you watched that too, Trippin. Did you have any any uh, takeaways there? 33 shots, absolutely absurd. <laughs> to only come away with two goals after 33 shots. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the box score. It shows 13 of those shots were blocked. So that's 20 that flew towards the frame. Not all of them were on target. Nine on target, though. Even nine on target is kind of absurd on a, on yeah. a slightly not quite the same level as 33. I, I'm shocked. Toronto is one of my teams that I think is a peg for one of the worst teams in the league. When I when I look at what they've got on paper, I know people wait, have been waiting for Insigne to come. I know Jose Jimenez has shown some bright spots. I know Bradley's been a producer for SO5 from a Sober's perspective. He's got his little cult of fanboys out there, Michael Bradley. But those people... <laughs> are in for a rude awakening eventually. I think Toronto's still headed down, but I'm surprised. I was merely the home field advantage, I think. It's the, that vaunted home MLS home field advantage that kind of turned against Chicago for that 10-minute stretch, like you mentioned. Pozuelo's penalty was pretty soft. His goal was amazing. It was a, just a banger, curler that he lined up and, and put in the top right corner. Yeah. Tough loss yeah, yeah. Another thing could be... Uh, Piggybacking off last week's episode where we talked about Gaga, I don't like to say it, but I think he could have done better for the first goal. If you remember, it was kind of a very soft wrist down to the right. I think he's got to be saving that. And like them kind of moments, like especially the place Chicago in now where they just can't get a result. You know, performances don't win your championships. You've got to get a ball in the back of the net. You've got to get results. And like, it's just not quite happening there. I'm starting to get worried. Like I said, in the midst of some positive signs, I, I am worried. And yeah, Toronto didn't didn't really on the flip side were pretty poor, like you said. I I, I do have Insigne, and I'm kind of hoping that he can be a catalyst. I know they've spoke about um, Bob Bradley spoke about bringing some new players in too. He's kind of been open with that, so maybe they have enough there. They do have some young talent in and around them, so maybe they're a team for next year to kind of project ahead. I'm not sure, but um, do you have any thoughts, Chris, on on Toronto, Chicago? Yeah, they've got young talent, but it's just not producing. Like Marshall Ruddy's been hurt, Schaffelberg's been hurt. Um, Judd Nelson's been good, but like Preso has been horrible. I thought Preso was going to be pretty good this year, and he's just he's just been terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean they've got pieces. They've they've got a. And you didn't even mention Asorio, who's Canadian national team player. He goes out in the twentieth minute, which I think really really hurt them. Um, I had actually written for Predictology a little bit earlier that getting Osorio back, potentially getting Pozuelo back, which they did, they should score a few goals, which they ended up doing. Um, but, you know, from the Toronto perspective of things, they they do need Insignia. They do need um, just more in the back line, like Salcedo has been, for being a DP center back, just not good. He's been sent off twice, and the back line just looks looks, you know, shredded to pieces at times. And then they go and change the goalkeeper. And I know that that's a big, big deal um, from a Sora perspective. Is this something that we think is going to be kind of a, a long-term thing? Or is this, you know, just rotating Bono before the international break? What do you think about that, Trippin? I mean, guys, I'm not going to lie. I've been sitting here staring at Quentin Westberg's Sora page since this game ended, basically. Meanwhile, <laughs> flipping over to the other tab and refreshing Twitter, to see if Bob Bradley has given me any type of lean with a post-game comment, you know, Westy did good, he's our guy. Here's what I do know. Toronto FC did post a video of him going over to salute the fans right after the game. That was on their official account. He started the cup match in the Canadian Cup earlier this week, which was a win. He did have one semi-mistake, didn't count as a big error, I don't believe, for Opta, but 
He wasn't great, but they won the match. So now he's won two in a row. Everybody knows Bono's bad. If you do a search for Westberg Bradley on Twitter, you're going to see like every Toronto fan saying, Keep, put Q in, come on, Bob, do the right thing, all this kind of stuff. So I've got all these tea leaves pointing to Westberg as potentially keeping the starting job. And there's all these cheap cards on the market under 0.2, you know, ranging from 1.0.13 to 0.199 and a bunch in between. And if, when you look at the current SoRare market for goalkeepers, where got any starter is trending above 0.4, if Westbrook's going to keep the job right now, he's a huge bargain. And I've had to like wrestle with myself: Do I buy this guy? Yes or no? There was one just recently. Looks like that was pointed for 0.105. That when we started the show, that is already sold ten minutes later. So it's a big question coming out of this game. It doesn't have to be the most important question for you or your gallery, I guess. The, the guy does kind of suck. But I'm just when you in this kind of when I'm looking at so I'm looking at this on a day to day, week to week basis. And I'm thinking about increasing my goalkeeper depth as we get closer and closer to the getting commons out of uh, global all star. So I feel like rare goalkeeper prices are going to continue to trend up. If you can get a starter for under two, maybe you should. I, I don't know. It's not financial advice. I haven't pulled the trigger on this guy yet myself, but it's out there. Well, my question would be there on Westberg is like, do you think he's good enough to be a starter elsewhere if he does end up coming on the bench like next season? A bit of a Tyler Miller. You kind of have that situation with Tyler Miller where he's quite well known that he's like good enough, even if he doesn't get a job this year, that he should have a decent shot or like at least a reasonable shot of being starting somewhere else. Whereas Westberg, I'm not sure. Do you, do you, how do you sort of evaluate that? Like if he doesn't get the job at uh, Toronto, is there still some hope? It, there's no hope, I don't think. No, I think this is his last shot, for sure. He's not good, but we're just talking about getting a starter to get you into contests and regions and things like that. And I do think Toronto will trend up when Insigne gets there as some of the young talent that you guys mentioned starts to come together a little bit. I would say Toronto is going to do better in the next 15 games than they did in the first 15 games. That may not be saying much, but that's where I'm at with it. Just something to think about if people are looking for cheap goalkeepers. It's always a so. So I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here and tell you why you shouldn't go and get Westberg. Um, so we, we just talked about Bob Bradley wanting to bring in new players. And the obvious position that you would want to bring in is goalkeeper for me. Um, because Bono is, like you said, horrible. Westberg is old and really not that good himself. And they don't have a third guy that you they, – like they don't have a – a young like Celentano type guy, Roko Rios Novo, that you're like, okay, this is the heir apparent. Eventually this guy's going to be the guy he just needs to develop. There's nobody like that in Toronto. They're going to need to bring in somebody at some point. So they don't have an heir apparent that is, that is really going to come in and, and take the job once he's ready, once he's done developing. Um, it's just, just him, right? It's, it's, it's just the two of them that are kind of competing for this job. So it, it makes a lot of sense to me that they bring in an outside goalkeeper, especially if they've, if Bradley's tested Bono and he's figured out that he's not the guy, which it seems like he probably has. Um, so I stay away from this situation at, at all costs if I can. Um, and there's other guys that are not 0.4 that are, that are starters like Shuttleworth, I think is like 0.2. Um, and he is going to be, at least for me, he's going to be the starter. Now, Roca Rios Novo potentially is there. He's on the bench, so maybe, but I think it's a little bit of wishful thinking. I, I mean, he wasn't particularly great in the USL last year, so th to think that he can take a step up like that in one year is ambitious, but hey, who knows, maybe. Um, 
I think with um, with, with Shuttleworth, like he kind of he I picked one up for the same reasons. His price is kind of the same as uh Trippin saying there, even for the one season. Around point two, you've got some decent value there. If you're, even with a fresh hold, you maybe pick up a card or two. You got a starting goalkeeper for just yeah. a year. Um, but even with someone like him, there's that weird thing where like he's been a starter in the MLS before, maybe at the not the top clubs. If he goes on and does really well this season with Atlanta, which isn't they're terrible defensively, we can get into that maybe later. But if he goes on for the rest half of the season, you know he just got back into the team. So if he finds some form and kind of puts a team on his back. Someone like that maybe does have some upside because then you get him for point two for this year and then maybe if he has a good season, he goes on and finds a move to maybe someone who's needing a fill-in for a year or two. And uh, yeah, yeah, I thought he was. that was my logic when I picked him up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's not bad and, and you're pretty well guaranteed to get him for a season, whereas Westberg, you have no real clue. You're just taking a shot in the dark. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean... It, it's it's I mean there's other guys like Ella Khan out there too, right? Celentano was garbage last night. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people that really thought he was gonna take the starting job, I like him long term. You just very rarely see anybody come out of the draft ready to play year one, much less a goalkeeper. So I think long term he is probably gonna be the successor to Khan, but right now it's Khan's job. And Khan, I think, is 0.25 maybe. Um so, yeah, I mean, I think there's other kind of bottom-of-the-barrel type goalkeepers that aren't nearly as risky um, as, as Westberg. But, you, you, I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, Westberg could be the starter the rest of the year. If he's the starter the rest of the year, he's worth more than 0.1, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, it's maybe worth a shot, but um, I think there's just maybe other options out there that you could also try to consider. Goalkeepers are just such a headache, aren't they? they, they you lose sleep over them. I picked up a, um, this is not MLS, but it's America. I picked up a goalkeeper, Lucas Chavez, from the um, Argentinian League because I saw that he was was their starter for years. He's like their second most valuable player on that transfer market, and he's coming back from injury. And uh, I picked him up for Argentinos. And he, I just saw today that, and there was another guy playing, Lanzalotta. I just saw today that now he's being linked to again a loan out because the backup did really well. So now they kind of got two good mm. keepers, but he's too good. So now um, I just impulse bought. Once I saw that news, I impulse mm. bought the Lanzalotta too. Just so now I've got like the hedge, you know. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes, sometimes that's that's the way you gotta go. You gotta go with your gut. So if you you're either gonna end up throw, with. Uh... With two goalkeepers or none in that situation, yeah, yeah. probably one way or the other. All or nothing, gamble, baby. Yeah. Let's go. All right, so Chris, did you watch any games? I was going to say that was a really long-winded thing on Chicago and Toronto. Um, so we'll we got a lot of games that we went through too. So we'll try to uh, try to speed it up. Uh, the Quakes LAFC game that was an interesting one. I know um, Trippin also watched this one. I watched maybe the first half, um, and it was just kind of wide open, which is what you expect from San Jose games. I have not actually watched San Jose since Matias Almeida left. It did look a little bit more controlled, I guess, defensively than it has in the past. Uh, they just don't have um, maybe the players in the back. They don't have the talent in the back. And Calvo is probably the most talented, and he is kind of, kind of garbage too. So um, going forward, though, Jamiro Montero, oh, my gosh, he was so influential in this game. And I don't think a lot of people have really watched him because, I mean, maybe last year in, in Philadelphia, but he is 
phenomenal. I don't know how Philadelphia got rid of him and they're still this good. Um, what were your thoughts on this game, Trip? Jamiro was great. Espinosa was pulling strings. Abobasi was all over the place. I've been people have been kind of like selling Abobasi continually as his value keeps going up and up and up. People keep jumping ship and he keeps delivering the results. So it's kind of funny. He had two goals here. Second one was an absolute farce defending by LAFC in the box off a corner. Ball bounced to him, and there's it's like a training yard exercise. There's literally no one around him. The LAFC, their first two goals were a penalty that was probably deserved, uh, maybe a little soft, and then a nice goal from Hollingshead, but he kind of had Marchinkowski screened there. It, it was a nice shot, but it could have been saved, I think, if the goalkeeper had a little bit better view. San Jose, Marchinkowski's one of my – I own his card. He's one of my favorite keepers. He ended up with like 15 – between 15 and 20 AA this game. He racks up the AA, but he always continually gets let down <laughs> by his defense, and so he's always a threat to give up three, unfortunately, which he did here. Uh, Brian Rodriguez was nice in Vela's absence. Kellen Acosta continued to not deliver. There was just a lot of action. It was a great game. Three goals in the first 20 minutes, four goals total in the first half. It was fun. It, a, lo a lot of good things. I think the biggest takeaway is that if you still own Carlos Vela, it's time to get rid of him at this point. He, he, every, every game, every time he does appear for LAFC, it's his threat to be his last time ever for them, I think. He subbed himself out 20 minutes into the cup game at midweek and basically just, I just he's probably in some mood where he doesn't feel like playing. I think it's time to jump ship on him. And I've been telling people that on a Bobacy, though, also. He keeps going up, so who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Well, question. The thought, hold on one second. The thought with a Bobacy, though, oh, my God, did he miss some sitters. Like, he should have had four or five in the first yes, half. Yes, true. 100%. So, I mean, yes, he's scoring, goals. but goodness gracious, like, anybody could score some of those goals. True, Sorry, totally go ahead, Nashi. He's getting the chances, though, to be fair. It's, it's like a, you know, like, you got to make, you got to get into the right positions to get the chances, you know, and then, you know, you're going to miss some, but he's just, to, if, if my striker's getting that many chances, I'm happy regardless whether he's scoring them. Cause over the course of the season, if he's still getting in them positions, like you said, anyone could score them, you'd, you'd back him to start putting him away. I, I wanted to dial in on a few. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Oh, one headline I did want to throw out that if Vela is going to keep missing time, keep an eye, Latif Blessing turned out an amazing score. 75 for his midfielder card, 63 for his forward card. And he was basically in the cam role. He's basically playing a number 10 with Vela out. He's yeah. a very versatile player that plays all over the pitch. And if he's going to stay in that role, he's going to continue to get those chances created in those box entries. That, and he even got a double, uh, a, a triple double in this match, which Bennett, that's why his midfielder score was a little bit higher. But the forwards don't get some of those counting stats going up, but they do get the bonus. So he even... That's why his forward card still scored well. And just someone to keep an eye on if Vela is going to miss extended time. He's pretty cheap. I own him. I way overpaid for him last year, and I've just kind of held on to him all these this time. And he's finally might be in a good spot where he might be delivering his best results. Yeah, you'd think I he'd actually just Matrix well because he, um, he's a very active kind of player, isn't he? He's like busy. He's getting oh, around. Yeah. He's getting cold. So like, yeah, that's he's everywhere. Kind of, yeah, in so rare, that's the thing. Um, did you have Saints right, Chris? Yeah, I actually just picked him up this week because I needed a forward card, and his forward card is way underpriced compared to every mm -hmm. other forward card in the market right now. And the reason is he doesn't start every game. The, the I guess, drawback or downside, when he when everyone's healthy, he's not 
probably a starter, even though he's a fantastic player and I think he should be a starter. Um, the plus side is he can play just about every position on the field. So if anybody on the team gets hurt, he's the next one in. Um, so I actually don't mind him for like a, a threshold team where if he subs on and, and picks up a 10 AA, you're still okay. Um, I don't think he's going to rack up goals or, or, or assists or anything like that and get real, real high. But right. for a threshold team, I actually think it's not bad. 40 AA as a midfielder, 33 as a, as a forward this weekend. If yeah. Vela's out, blessing benefits the most. That, right now. That's incredible, yeah. I was going to ask you, Trippin, you said you have Mark Anowski, a player who stood out for me so rare-wise, but I've never seen much of him in real life, is Nathan. I don't know if you've seen his scores on so rare. Mm-hmm. They are unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And when you guys were just saying maybe Calvo is their best defender, like why is he pumping out them kind of scores? Is he the, is he that good and dominant? I haven't I haven't seen him play much. I didn't know if you had because you probably considered him. <laughs> no, Nathan's one of those guys that last year everyone was waiting for him to get minted because you could you could look at him on Sora data and see all these amazing scores he was turning, but there was no cards available. There's still only eight rare Nathan cards, no super rares available on the site. Only fifty six limited. And the funny thing is though is he hasn't really delivered. I believe his rare is a one ETH card right now. If I look at it, yeah, the the cheapest Ooh. floor price on the market is one ETH. His most recent sale is point uh, eight one one. That was an auction, but he is not delivering because he's got a known goal. He's got a red card, and he had a big error lead to goal on this one. And it, he he's having these errors that are going to start to bring his price down. I believe eventually they have to. But if you look at his scores last year, he's like super elite, maybe the best. SO5 defender in MLS. He's got a 60 L40, which is insane. His L40 AA is 23 points. So he's got the history. He's just had some recent bad results. Yeah, he's, well, he's here's, here's one thing. One thing with him too is does the switch away from Matias Almeida and that system where you're just it's almost like the Red Bulls where you're just always constantly playing. Like every player on the field is constantly running somewhere and constantly making a play. Does that switch away hurt his AA scores? Cause he's probably not racking up nearly as many AA scores recently. I don't, I don't know. I haven't looked at him. Well, Versus LAFC just this Saturday gave up three goals. That's what minus six, I think Get, had a negative decisive. So we had 15 decisive uh, had 43 AA points for a total score of 58 Jeez. with a negative decisive. He's giving you a 60 wild. point. So he's definitely worth the investment. He's just expensive as hell because people yeah. waited forever. He didn't, no one got to sneak up on him or he didn't like sneak up on anybody because people have been waiting for him for almost a year. Yeah. I had the same problem with Talis Magno. I would have loved to get him right when he transferred, but it, by the time he actually got here and played a full two years, before he was minted. Yeah, I couldn't get him at that point. Um, let's keep rolling through here. Um, so I watched, as, as painful as it is to, to say, I watched DC against the New York Red Bulls. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a fairly even game in the first half. Really nothing happened. It was 0-0 with like no shots. Um, either Both teams were kind of poor. New York was probably a little better. They were at least getting towards the attacking third. DC just looks absolutely listless like no no taxi phone test and they have no playmaking whatsoever um everybody knows to key on gressel now so n- nobody lets him get free and you know with no taxi there's there's no other options and i mean they need help in the midfield i mean sophie jafalne i think his name is um 
he's trying his best, man. Like he's, he's really trying. He, he's, he's running around. Same thing with like Scundrich last year, they put him in the midfield and then you know, like, they're, they're giving a lot of effort. They just don't have quality. Like he's a, he was a second round pick in the draft this year and he, they've thrown him straight into the midfield and just put him in a bad spot. And you could see like flashes, but he just doesn't have the technical ability. They need somebody to get on the ball at the midfield because um, Knauss is a good destroyer, but he doesn't hold the ball up. So they they desperately need somebody to just get on a little bit of possession. And then going forward, they have to have Taxi. If, if Taxi doesn't play, there's just no way that, that that they're doing anything well. But in the game itself, I mean, Gressel rounds the keeper on a one-on-one and hits side netting. It could have been one nothing right there. And then it could just be old school DC where you just pack it in and just, just you know, set up shop and, and park the bus and go for the one nothing or even if you concede one one draw. But instead, don't get that one. Red Bull score three worldy goals and and that's that. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it was frustrating for sure. Also, Aaron Long got pulled off at halftime. Some of you guys might be wondering about that. It wasn't performance based, it wasn't injury related. It was just they thought he was playing too many minutes, which is fair, but now he's been called up to the US national team. So yeah, good luck with not playing any minutes there. Um, yeah, the, pro- the problem with yeah. like problem with like you said, the lack of creativity and like losing taxi and in the MLS specifically, it almost feels like the strategy that kind of only Nashville sometimes do it where you kind of defend it out, try and nick a one nil is just not optimal for the MLS just because we've mm-hmm. talked about it before where like the best players in the league are generally attacking players. So you want to play into them. So I feel like in the MLS more than any other league, if you haven't got them creative sparks, if you can't score goals, you're really struggling because the teams that struggle to score goals in Europe might be able to do the Jose Mourinho, be so astute defensively, have such great defenders that they could... But in the MLS, you just don't see the quality of player in the defensive third. So that strategy, you know, you're just really looking like without without goals in your team, they're just really tough. And I relate to you from watching Chicago, especially earlier in the season before they sort of brought in a couple of pieces. You're just thinking... They ain't going to keep, they're, they're doing everything they can to keep clean sheets. But as soon as they start conceding, they just can't score, you know? And you right. just think, where do you kind of go from here? Like, it's- And that's what it, that's what DC was under Ben Olsen. And that's what we all had a problem with. And then they brought in this new coach to bring in this up-tempo, high-press attack that was at least going to score goals. And it did score goals. And now, um, yeah, it just wasn't good enough against Red Bulls. Just, just not very good. They need some help in the summer transfer window. I don't know who they're bringing in or where they're getting from, but man, I hope that they get some some decent pieces. And also, they've got a lot of injuries too. They've got Nyman out still. Um, he's had another really disappointing season. Um, so yeah, hopefully he can he can kind of turn things around. Um, any other thoughts on on DC or Red Bulls there, Trippin? Yeah, Nyman. Thankfully, I sold his card at the beginning of the year. He should have been in that uh, Jafal role if he wasn't hurt all the time. He's maybe a promising player whose promises kind of start yeah. to fade away. Red Bulls are good. Buy him, Lewis Morgan if you can get him for a deal. Buy him. Lucinius, also real nice. I'm a huge Charlotte fan, which we'll get into a little later, but I got firsthand look at these Red Bulls team in the cup midweek. We play them again at home, so I'm going to be seeing Red Bulls in person in, a few day, in about 10 days and not looking forward to it. They are mean ugly pressing <laughs> and they use tactics that go with the press in terms of throwing themselves on the ground and then they come up with these wonder goals to just piss you all right off so 
Good news is they really can't That's score. All I have to say about Red Bull. Other, yeah, other than yeah. the wonder goals, they really can't score. So I mean, right, exactly. at least there's that. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's get to the next one here. So we got Orlando against Dallas, which was a fun game. Um, Dallas puts the pedal to the metal in the second half. My goodness, Paul Ariola scored a nice goal. I saw. Um, I actually didn't watch this game too much of it. I watched maybe maybe ten minutes. Um, what did you see in this one, Trippin? Well, I was watching this one pretty close because I recently uh, invested in Mauricio Pereira Super Rare. I basically, in the last three weeks, month or so, not great timing since ETH crashed, like right after I made the big decision to do this, but I decided to put uh, reinvest in So Rare. I've really liked my results over the last first year that I've been on it. So I decided to reinvest a little more, buy a few Super Rares to help me com- compete in Division Three. And one of those is Reynoso, one of those is Jefferson Saverino, and one is Mauricio Pereira for Orlando. Love that he's always on the ball, racking up AA. He, I think he's just in a good spot. And I, I, I like Orlando, what they do around him. So I was really happy to see him get an assist in first half stoppage time off a free kick. Great kick in uh, service into Cara. Urchan Cara finishes it. Orlando goes in with the lead and posts the graphic. And then that they're... Their 1-0 halftime lead graphic ended up being posted on the uh, parody meme account on Twitter that's uh, MLS images that preceded unfortunate events uh, because, like you mentioned, Chris, they got absolutely blitzed in the second half by Dallas. Dallas is crazy. They're, Dallas, another Charlotte reference is that we were linked to Paul, Paul Areola bringing him in from D.C. in the offseason right before the season started. Didn't happen. He ended up choosing Dallas. I have a feeling that he did not want to really be part of a uh, expansion project. He wanted to go somewhere that had some players that were ready to win now. And he, him and Jesus Ferreira just look amazing running up and up and into the attack. And they're so good. They even make old man Franco Haro look good. Who subbed in <laughs> Paxton, always injured. Pomacow got injured again. Poor kid just can't seem to, to uh, stay on the pitch. He's but, had a good year this year though. He has, but the last he's couple of games really he's good. reverted back to his bad form. He had a hot streak yeah. for sure, but it, yeah. keep an eye on him. If you have him, I would sell him. I would sell his part if you had it for sure. But. I think um, I, I watched about half hour of that game, and I thought um, Savania was brilliant. Like, just as a player, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I haven't even checked his serious scores, and we've talked about him a bit with a few guests on the shows, but he looked, he stood out to me. Like, he's very, com- very composed, very physically dominant and just really technical on the ball. So, yeah, I think Ariola was a brilliant piece of business. Brilliant. And probably World Cup year, I guess we'll get into that too. Yeah, going to Charlotte maybe is a bit too much of an unknown. But it seems like it was a good decision for him and a brilliant piece of business by uh, by Dallas. And, they're, they're, yeah, we talked about it. They're such a dangerous side. Like that, that game summed it up. You know, you thought they're looking one nil down away from home. Or, you know what I mean? They're looking up against it and then just bang, they just turn mm-hmm. it on. And blow them away is is kind of a kind of a story of their season. They stuck Pedro Galese in the guillotine right at the you know it sucks <laughs> you know you hate you hate to see whenever I'm watching a slate of MLS that's you know I watch the other leagues in Europe and whatnot but I'm most locked into MLS the slate from start to finish and I'm just I'm just seeing who's getting the guillotine which keepers are getting that negative twenty you know it's, it's brutal <laughs> but Pedro got it for sure. Yeah, and I, Dallas is actually up into second, which is pretty crazy. I, I kind of thought of them as more of a hot and cold team. Like, on their day, they're unplayable. If they're hot, they're they're just going to win. Um, but they also have these games where it's just like 
it just doesn't work out. And it was almost like both games they played in the in the first half and then in the second half of this one. They, they lost at home to Vancouver. So that, yeah. that, that's, that's I mean, an example of the hot cold right there. It's wild, wild. And Vancouver's coming too. Vancouver beat Kansas City um, off the bottom of the table. Good for them. Kansas City is now on the bottom. Look at that. Seattle is 13th in the Western Conference. Even after winning Champions League, they still have not really picked it up too much at all. Um, they have a matchup in their next game. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they play today. Uh, a little bit later on as we're recording, they play against Charlotte. Um, so we are going to go ahead and get into um, – we have a couple main topics here. Oh, one last thing before we move on. We see the Champions League final, and obviously this is an American, you know, soccer podcast, but you're not going to not talk about the Champions League final. What a performance by Thibaut Courtois. My goodness, that man was everywhere, all over the place, uh, just making save after save after save on Liverpool. Um, and I I mean, apparently the Ballon d'Or is, is a little bit earlier this year, and it's, uh, the World Cup is after that. But if Belgium win the World Cup this year, what kind of a year did Thibaut Courtois have? I mean, has there ever been a goalkeeper be better than, than you know, single-handedly winning the Champions League final per, practically and then going on and, and winning the World Cup with, with Belgium, potentially? It's funny. Do you think there's, like, going to be, like, a um, side effect of so rare where reverence for goalkeepers in the mainstream becomes more? Because usually this is really rare. That Courtois was unbelievable, by the way. And yeah. he is, he's, he's the best keeper in the world. But, like, you're seeing the media talk about him and stuff. Already on on so rare, any any goalkeeper performing well, we're already dialed in on it. You know what I mean? We have love for them. They're like they're like gods. So it's kind of funny to see how that translates. Yeah, it was a it's an unbelievable game. I think Liverpool will be really disappointed because they did they were the better team, but it was kind of Madrid were kind of still comfortable. They didn't yeah. get the game into like the space where I think Liverpool needed to. They had to make it wild. They had to make it moving that to get Madrid out of their comfort zone. Ancelotti's so savvy. Their team's so savvy. You know, they've got old, old experienced players in there. Modric, Casemiro, Cruz, Benzema. They know what they know how to manage the game, whether they've got the ball or not got the ball. They haven't got the ego. You know, they there was times in the game where they could have tried to make more forward passes and they just slowed it down. And watching it as a football fan, you just knew that's so, so smart what they're doing right now. So although People talking after Liverpool had more chances, they're a the better team. I don't think that Madrid were were uncomfortable for much of the game. And I think Liverpool really were a get not making them um not making them that way. They could they should have, you know, I mean, they, I think they needed to make the game more chaotic because Madrid's too experienced to of a team there. So yeah, it was it was a good watch though. It was a good game. I, I was very surprised at the result. I thought Liverpool were gonna take it down. Yeah, so watch that uh, tripping. Yeah. I, well, I actually had one more thought on 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 the Champions League there, and you're you hit the nail on the head when you said Madrid played exactly the game that they wanted to play, and I said that on Twitter, and I got a little bit of flack for it. Um, uh, and to me, Madrid was the better team in this game. Now, say what you will, uh, you can make all kinds of excuses for Liverpool because of the schedule. I mean, the schedule is brutal for Liverpool. They had to play every single game mattered. They didn't get to rest their starters. Real Madrid had wrapped up the La Liga title months ago. So there is that element to where if it were actually an even game, Liverpool is probably more talented and they probably win the game. However, if Carlo Ancelotti had drawn up pregame exactly how he wanted this game to go, this is what he would have drawn up. Exactly how it played out. 
Real Madrid in complete control from from my they didn't have the ball, but they were in complete control the entire game. Um, and even the Benzema goal, I thought was, and you know, a lot of people have said that they thought that was a, 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 a legitimate goal um, that got ruled out just before halftime. Even if it wasn't technically by the rule legitimate, it should be legitimate. I mean, there's two defenders sandwich the ball to the attacker. There's no way that should be offside. When you talk about control too, I don't think you mean like, they're dominating the game in terms of from like a third party standpoint. But even when they were under pressure, under the cosh, that's where like the world class experience comes in because they didn't panic. They didn't. And then when they scored that goal against the run of play, um, the Benzema disallowed goal, the whole mentality of Liverpool, it seemed like they shift, shifted a little bit. And uh, Real Madrid, even when they were kind of having moments of adversity, you felt like they were still stable. Now he's just experienced. You've got Modric and Cruz. Who are, Modric, for me, is one of my favourite players ever. I think one of the best, still most underrated players ever. Like, I watched him at Tottenham and he just tore up West Ham. I used to have a season ticket when he was there. And I've never seen... It's really hard in the Premier League, too. Like, you get the Carlos Hills here to bring it back to the MLS who stand out and dominate a game and kind of look like they're playing, like, a level down in, in age group. But when you get to the Premier League, like, that's really a metric where... It's so hard to do that, no matter how good you are, because every player is world class. And Luka Modric used to just completely run the game. Like the whole game is being dictated by one player. And yeah, just a little nuance there. Like, yeah, brilliant player. And I think he, him and Cruz kept ahead and won the game. But yeah, that's enough. Yeah. Uh, enough European football. We're getting busy over here. Trippins. Getting <laughs> <laughs> worried. Hey, Mane's- get back to Charlotte. Mane's shot could have changed everything. That's all. That's the one thing I remember. That that fingertip from Tebow to put it on the post was amazing. He made two or three saves like that that I was just like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Um, yeah, crazy game. Great. Congratulations to Real Madrid. Um, but we are moving on. We have – so we have two more topics. I'll let you guys select what you which one you want to do first. Do we want to do the whole nation, the national team, or do we want to go Charlotte first? Let's go – let's go – National team now, because I had some questions about this. Obviously, you got the, the camp coming up, and it's a big year. I mean, obviously, it's a big year for every team because it's the World Cup, but for me, it feels even bigger for the U.S. because it's the first year where you actually look at their team and some of their players and think they, they could get some results here that might send some shockwaves around. I think there is general optimism. The feeling around soccer in this country is growing you got Joe Rogan tweeting about soccer now. It's going to be the biggest sport in 10 years. We, you know, I think that I think there's something building here. And so now, like, for me coming in, I'm looking at their new new squad. And you've got some pieces, obviously, that we all know, the big names. And do you think there's any of these new guys coming in now that can add to your chances, that can develop over the course between now and then to, to make a difference? If I pick out a couple names here out of the squad um, they just made, the, the one that was really kind of exciting for me, even though I'm not American, but Malik Tillman coming in, I think this World Cup might come too soon for him, but his pedigree coming through Bayern Munich, do you does that get you excited for the future? Because that's kind of what you're missing is maybe like that, that number nine, someone, someone getting goals in the final third. Yeah, so I mean, Malik Tillman is obviously a great prospect coming through Bayern Munich, um, and this is 
this is where you see the evolution of the U.S. national team and the difference in where we are now as compared to where we were four or even eight years ago. Malik Tillman comes through Bayern Munich's academy and is just now getting called up uh, before, and, and he's kind of on the verge of, of getting Bayern Munich minutes as well. But he really honestly has to break into the Bayern Munich team in order to honestly get a chance in this U.S. national team. Whereas a few years ago, you know, eight years ago, Julian Green comes through and is basically just an academy player and gets put on the full World Cup team and actually played quite a bit in Brazil as well. So um, this is really and I, I can't remember which academy he came through, um, Julian Green, but it was it was one of the bigger ones, but it wasn't Bayern Munich. So this is really where you're seeing the development and, and the depth in the U.S. pool now. Is, it, is the in that a guy like Malik Tillman is not just an automatic starter because he's kind of on the on the bench-ish for Bayern Munich. Um, so I think it's, I mean, obviously he's a great player, great talent. I'm excited to get him just like I was excited to get Yunus Musa, who is another big dual national who's really developed into a really, really good player. Um, Do you have any um, thoughts on yeah. the Brendan Aronson comments at a Premier League? Uh, um, what, uh, what's your thoughts on that? As a US fan, obviously you want him to do well and you want him to progress. What's your thoughts? So I have to put my own personal bias out front and center because I love Brendan Aronson. He's my favorite <laughs> player on the US men's national team, for sure. Huge Aronson fan since he was with the Philadelphia Union. Stems back to before I got into so rare, I was a big DraftKings soccer player. I played DraftKings all the time for Premier League, for the European leagues, and for MLS and League MX. And when Brendan Aronson had his debut match for Philly, he was like minimum salary price on DraftKings, and I put him in my lineup just because I need to fill a hole. He scores a goal in his debut, and I just, it's been a love affair with Brendan ever since for me. I also have extended that to his younger brother, Paxton Aronson, who plays for Philadelphia now. And my claim to fame is that I have the cheapest Paxton Aronson card on so rare. I got his four of 100 rare last year for like 0.027 ETH. And like every card ever since then has always sold like way higher than that. So I'll never sell. It's one of my never sells for sure. Irrational never sells. But more pertinently, Brandon Aronson doesn't quite get as much love from the bulk of the fan base as he gets from me. But I do think he's super important. I love his dribbling. I love what he can bring. I think he makes players like Pulisic better. I think he helps can help us find a number nine in terms of providing service and creating plays and whatnot. We do need that number nine. If I, I'm looking at the call-up sheet and for uh, the summer roster, and he's classified as a forward, I would say he's a winger for sure, but he can also just play as a midfield player, I think. I, I want to see Jesus Ferreira start to shine. I don't know that false nine is really our go-to formation like Dallas uses him, but I do like him on the pitch as much as possible. And yeah, we need a, we need a striker. We thought it was Pepe. Pepe didn't pick up the gauntlet. So now we go search for the next one. The, the age old U S men's national team problem looking for a real number nine for sure. Yeah, for sure. What do you guys think the formation you will run sort of going up to the world cup now, if you could sort of, predict it and like what what kind of pieces you'd put in there personally if you if you were given a job right now i mean at this point it kind of has to be a four three three like with a false nine because we don't have the number nine um the one thing i'll say i i do think dk is gonna get there eventually he's just got so many injuries that he's almost like josie like if he's healthy the u.s national team is dangerous but if he's not healthy if he doesn't play at the world cup then that really takes away quite a bit 
because uh, he just gives us something that nobody else really gives us. Aronson and Ariola kind of both are kind of in the same mold, and I think they both get hate for it. They're both wingers, but they don't they're not creative. They're not, you know, breaking guys down, taking guys one-on-one, but what they do do is open up space so well. And they also press really well. They're also very good pressing forwards, which I think is a, is a big deal when you're talking about a national team setup um, that you can get the ball back and have the ball consistently. And those two guys do that better than anyone else in, in the, um, in the pool. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the number nine is a, is a big deal. Pepe could still get there. You never know. Um, he's had half a season in, in Germany. Um, so we'll have to just give him some time. I'm not a big Pepe fan myself, but um, he could get there. Sieba too is, is not bad either. He's a decent fill-in. Um, he's not in this team, but I, I'm not sure why he's not in this team. Maybe he's hurt or something. Um, but yeah, outside of that, it's probably Jesus Ferrer in a back four. But I mean, the back four is pretty much pretty set, I'd say. The midfield three is definitely set. Um with McKinney, Adams, and Musa, I, there's no way you can take any of those guys off the field. You got to get Pulisic in there. Um, if if he's healthy, you got to get Giorena in there. So there's just not a lot of spots left, you know. There's, where's Where's Tim Weir fit in? Because I um, got to get White in. Bought one of his, yeah, I bought one of his cards, and he's he ended the season really strong. And I'm kind of hoping that he either becomes a nailed-on starter for Lille. I'm sure he's hoping the same next year, or potentially gets a move somewhere because he's very much in his interest in his development that he he does start before running up to the World Cup because he's he's a difference maker. He's physical and he's technical. And like you said about with Aronson and Areola, very smart players. They know how to move into space as well, but they're not quite got that thing that maybe Pulisic has and Weir has too, where they can beat a man or two and do right. something out of blue. And like you do need that when you get to the higher levels of football. So... Do you have any just quick thoughts on on him next season or just echo kind of the same thing? Yeah, I mean, Way is another guy that you really have to find a place for. If he's healthy and he's on form, he's another guy that you gotta you gotta get in there. Um, and I don't know how you I don't know how you fit Polisic, Reyna, and Waya on the field at the same time, other than maybe making Geo the 10. And yeah, I don't I don't know. Cause then you gotta but then you gotta take off one of the three midfielders. So I, I'm not sure how that works. Even even in the back three, who's going to play those wide positions that track back? I don't know. You know, but one of those guys is going to come off the bench if everybody's healthy. You would almost put Pulisic in the false nine at that point if it was like a way up Pulisic, Aronson, yeah. way up Pulisic, Ariola front line or something like that. Maybe Pulisic would be in the middle of that three. It's, it's tough to say. We had a lot of options and none of them are great. So it's a matter of finding the right mix, in my opinion. It's but they're much the better than they used to be, though. They're oh, not. 100%. They're not world class, but they're like they're solid now. When I say not, when I say they're, well, we got a bunch of options and they're not great. What I mean to say is that there's no clear standout three that like are obvious the, mm. the guys. It's almost like the two that can best play around Pulisic and make him better are the two that should be in there, in my opinion. And here's yeah, a crazy. A here's a crazy thought, though. Polisic, when he comes off the bench, is an absolute spark plug. Even for Chelsea, is that a thing? You know, do we no, do we no. dare go there? No, no you don't go there. He's too, he's too good. Polisic, like, not today. Injury, no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, without his injuries, he's 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 world class. Like even for Chelsea, there was a spell where he's looking the best player on a pitch for a while. He 
no, that's not that's not in there. But it's always when I he's coming off the bench, and even with the U.S. against Mexico, he comes off the bench and is phenomenal. He plays from the start, and he's just like kind of eh. So maybe his, if you, if I mean, maybe his down, pace no? and his his quickness is more effective in the second half. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not with you on that one. I, mate. I don't but I don't think that's realistically going to happen. But whatever gets us to the final, I'm down with for sure. All right, tripping. Let's get into it. This is what we've been building up for, and we want. Sure. To get into Charlotte as your team. You're a proper fan. I've been there. I've been to a game with you. I've seen the passion, mm-hmm. the ups and the downs. So what what's your general thoughts on Charlotte, where they're heading? I mean, there's been some ups and downs. There's been some good and bad this year, as to be expected. But like, what's your general thought as a real, real fan there? General thought is slight disappointment at this point. And uh I'd like to see a little bit more than what we've seen. We're, we're a team that gets a lot of possession, but struggles to score goals and, and we do stuff with the possession. We still have a losing record. We're right on the outside of the playoff picture. A couple teams behind us have game in hand, so we could slip further. Uh, Toronto and New England are probably going to try to climb up the standings. We're, we're behind Cincinnati and Miami, two of the teams that I consider you know two of the worst teams in the East. So, General thought is a slight disappointment. There's been some great highs. There's been some great moments. Uh, I've traveled all over, supporting the team. You mentioned Orlando. I've been to D.C. I've been to Atlanta. Had great experiences at all of them. I've been to Greenville, South Carolina for a U.S. Open Cup match. I've traveled to visit all kinds of places with Charlotte FC, and I probably will get at least one more road trip in before the, the season's done. What, what do you think they're missing right now? Like, what, where would you – Where would you? who would you add in if you had – Right, you've got one DP to add in or maybe a couple of players around the league that you would snatch from somewhere else that you think would fit your system and really, like, where, where are you just falling short? Because there are some signs of promise there. So for a DP, the general thought is that we should add another attacking midfielder, which I tend to agree with because that's a best use of DP money, uh, the way the MLS contracts and everything work. We've There's a link with us to a guy who plays for Newell's old boys in Argentina, Nicholas Castro. I just picked up his card recently, kind of hoping that he does end up in Charlotte also because it's kind of risk. If he doesn't end up there, he's still a good card, you know, where he's at. So uh, I think that is a good way to do it right now. Our midfielders are all kind of the same guy, which is a, either a high, well, one of two, let's say our midfielders fit into one of two templates, which is, very, very locked into the coaching system of high possession and never advancing the ball forward unless you definitely have the numbers. So they're very conservative in terms of back passes and recycling things back to the keeper. Not great for so rare scoring because you really want those final third passes, you know, from your guys getting up, not not the way Charlotte plays it. Then the other template that we have is is uh, the, the key guy in that role, I would say, would be either Sergio Ruiz or Alan Franco, both guys who have been on the bench recently. The other template is the attacking youngster, which would be Ben Bender or Jordi Alcivar, two guys that are probably a little overpriced on Soray right now just based on their potential, but they are trying to do good things in terms of making stuff happen. They just haven't been able to, to click so much. We're, one of the, we're the second lowest team in terms of goals scored, just ahead of your Chicago Fire, Nashi, as I'm sure you uh, are aware. So we need to score a lot more. Our, our Polish designated player, Karol Swiderski, is not getting – great chances his xg is really low and he's not exceeding his xg so it's a problem so that center attacking mid to sort of link up all those problems and and get the ball from that midfield possession into the attacking space it's 
probably the way to do it. I will say, though, we also are in dire need of a left back. And I don't necessarily want to spend designated player money on a left back, but it's something we need to think about bringing in when the transfer window does open again in MLS. Because right now we're relying on Joseph Mora, kind of cast off from uh, D.C. last year. And uh, I've been calling him Jogging Joe. He just, he's, anytime we've given up a, a sort of a counterattacking goal, you see him jogging behind the play. And he, he, he he's running full speed. It just looks like he's jogging is what I should say. So it, it's just not good enough right now. He's pretty good defensively in sort of a slowdown game. He was good against Carlos Hill. He's been good against some people. But in against counterattacking sides, which are we're facing a lot in this next stretch of our schedule, it's it's not going to be a good situation. Yeah. I think you really, yeah, you, like Swiderski, from the game we watched, and I've watched a few on TV too, Swiderski is the real deal and you really need to leverage him if you want to make some ways in the league because he's, he's quality. He's one of the best strikers in the league. I've seen him in person. He's busy, he's physical, he's fast, and he's got quality too. So you just need, like you said, like but you can't do anything if you're not getting any service, any chance. Yeah. So you need to find pieces just to get him to make a bit, bit difference maker. And I did really like another, uh, me and Harry were actually talking in the game and uh, Jordi Alcivar. Yeah. He, he's, a, he's a quality player. He, he looked very confident, composed on the ball in a game that, if you remember, the, you weren't doing too hot in the game in, in the first half, specifically the one we went to, but he was putting his foot on the ball and trying to make passes and trying to dictate mm-hmm. the tempo a little bit. And I think he's got some potential. He's obviously a young player, probably makes some naive mistakes positionally and stuff. But I, I, I like you said, I think he's got some potential to do some stuff. Ben Bender, obviously, a lot of people know about. He's what? What's kind of his development been? Because obviously, there's very, a lot of hype in the start, and now he's kind of not quite. I haven't heard from him in a, in a couple of months, really. He's exceeding expectations in terms of making the starting 11s. He, he's stayed in the, the manager's selections more than I thought he would but he's not delivering SO5 scores on the pitch at all. He he basically, for that first early stretch of the season, he was, I think, one of the top leaders in MLS in uh, expected assists in XA or whatnot. He was really performing really well there, and that has trailed off kind of predictably, as, as you would expect from a rookie trying to figure things out. And he's really just not delivering the results. If uh, if I can plug my uh, non-SoRare-related but Charlotte FC-focused podcast, the Charlotte Soccer Show, which you kindly mentioned earlier, Chris, uh, at For the Crown Baby on Twitter. That's our show ke- uh, sign-off phrase. Uh, but at For the Crown Baby, we on that show, the Charlotte Soccer Show, we talk. We've t- we have kind of tried to be like the voice of reason amongst the fan base of like, hey, don't get your expectations too high for Ben Bender. Like, what he he performed really well against Atlanta. He performed really well against New England, Cincinnati, and even then, we were saying, hey manage your expectations with this kid since then he started to slump and my guy i gotta shout out my guy orange fly who uh, uh my charlotte fc buddy he he collects charlotte fc cards like i do on so rare but i will put my collection my my charlotte fc uh so rare collection is second to none trust me you can go to my squads page on on trip and be on, on the site Big but, statement, right? yeah hey come <laughs> we might need a poll better I, i'd like to see it for sure but Orange Fly does have me with the one of 100 Ben Bender card, which I would love to have, but he threw a marker down and dropped like a 0.4 ETH bid on that one of 100 right when the 2022 cards came out. And there was nothing I, I couldn't even consider going over on that. And I do think he will eventually come good on that. Ben Bender has so much potential and, and uh, good, 
years ahead of him to to not worry about it. But uh, right now, he needs a little more work. He's a project. I think uh, I think maybe we need a poll to see who Charlotte squad is better, yours or, or Bob's. I think that that would be a fun uh, fun little poll to get going. And I love the uh, the for the crown baby. I love that sign off phrase. Um, hey, um, I want to one, one more thing on, on Charlotte. I want to ask uh, Mike. He's like they seem to have such a passionate fan base. Talk about yourself, Bob. People have taken to him so quickly, and you're like right in and amongst that. You're doing the podcast for the for the club, why do you think that this franchise just coming in has stuck and drawn such a genuine and passionate fan base? Like, because that from 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 coming from Europe, where it's so regional, it's so like integrated into history and generational like fan bases. Like, it's it's wild to me because how that's happened and how actually like you're genuine passionate fans and follow the club, but it's happened overnight almost like that. Like, what why do you think that is? Just a curiosity. Um, I think it's because there's kind of an untapped uh, uh, soccer appetite here. There's a, there's uh and football appetite because there's a lot of people that come from all over the, the world to live in Charlotte because it's a big business and commerce city. So everyone, not everyone, but many people that live here are not necessarily from here in terms of growing up. So they, they bring their love of, of outside things with them to Charlotte. So there's this big community of people that love soccer just from all walks of life and we've had USL teams for, for years and years and years. A couple, There's been a few over the years that rose and fell and rose and folded. But we had a really strong – we still have a team called the Charlotte Independence, which was in the USL last year and the, for the few years before that. And I went to those matches before Charlotte FC ever launched and had a lot of fun. And they have now since gone down. They relegated to USL 1, so they're kind of like third division now. But they borrow Charlotte FC players. Their goalkeeper is, you know, one of our players. We loaned them and things like that, and the left back and whatnot. So there's just that untapped, that that previously untapped community that was able to just come together. People love things that are new. People love to represent. People have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder against Atlanta and Nashville, which are kind of the bigger southern cities. And Charlotte is the the big city with the small town feel here in the south, and so. Some people want to see us sort of grow past that, just if I'm speaking. I've only lived here about 10 years, so if I'm speaking, like, psychologically to the uh, the psyche of the city, you can see, like, I'm collecting, like, Charlotte scarves. I have uh, a mini collection going here, four or five of them. This is my favorite one is the queen here, and, like, that's a, our first ever TIFO. Like, the, the opening match against LA Galaxy was a big TIFO of a queen. That was her head. And... Uh, we set the MLS attendance record. We've led the league in attendance every home match ever since, even though we don't open the, the upper deck of our stadium, but similar to Atlanta. But that just Charlotte was just ready. It was just a market that was ready and got a little lucky because we were probably behind in the process in terms of Raleigh, I think, our, another North Carolina city about two hours away. was probably a little ahead of us. St. Louis and Sacramento were ahead of Charlotte in the bidding process to get an expansion. But – Thankfully, we got a billionaire that bought the Carolina Panthers football NFL team, and he decided he wanted to have a soccer team also to sell tickets at the stadium when the Panthers weren't playing. And so he kind of used his billions to accelerate our bid past all those others, and we we got into the league. It's been great. I, I've been all in ever since. It's amazing how billions can accelerate things, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love that, and I love the uh, – I've always heard – 
um, that, that North Carolina specifically would be a big soccer state. Um, even like North Carolina FC was, was big back in the day as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's maybe still around, I think they were in the U S open cup, but, um, we played Charlotte independence last year in, in Pittsburgh and they had some of the, some of the better fans that, that traveled as well. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting. I wanted, so I'm a big Clemson fan, which is a, a college here in, in the States and, uh, their goalkeeper last year was George Marks, who you obviously have gotten to know a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, lately. And I watched him in the NCAA championships and he stood on his head and was absolutely fantastic got them a national championship and, uh, and then was drafted. in I believe the third round by Charlotte, which I thought was, it was a steal. Um, and I figured he would be, you know, the fourth string goalkeeper coming into the season being drafted that low. He has risen quickly and he is now the backup. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on, on Georgie? Yeah. George Mark's awesome young talent. He quickly accelerated past, Pablo Cisniega, who was a, a Pablo played for LAFC at the start of last year and was the starting keeper and then was picked up by Charlotte in the uh, sort of preseason player acquisition period. And everyone was like, OK, Pablo Cisniega will have a chance to start for Charlotte. Then we went and got this guy, Christian Kalina, who was a little bit better and who was clearly the starter. But then everyone was like, OK, Pablo is a seasoned veteran backup. He'll be great. Then what what just like you said, this kid, George Marks, comes in out of nowhere blows everybody away in camp, gets himself signed to a new contract extension before the season even started after the draft. And he's been the second string keeper every match. He was our cup goalkeeper. In fact, on the Charlotte soccer show, we, we, we usually pretty complimentary of the coach. We love our coach on the podcast, but we had to rip him and rail against him for not starting George Marks in this cup match loss that we had last week to New York Red Bulls. He went with a strong team and inserted Kalina, the starter back in his keeper but we liked the idea of having sort of like the cup keeper, you know, like your cup matches, you have your cup keeper. It kind of, if you're looking for karma, you know, not starting George Marks as our cup keeper might've set us off in a little bit of a bad spot against Red Bulls in that cup because Marks is the real deal. He's very young. Let me double check his age, but I think he's 21. Uh, yeah, he's like he, 21 or 22. He's yeah. going to have U23 eligibility for a while. And even though Christian Kalina is an awesome goalkeeper and I hope he is the, uh, Charlotte, number one for many years to come here. Marks is someone who is going to develop and could potentially get a starting job somewhere in the next year or so. If you've got some yeah. extra ETH laying around, he's trading at about 0.05 right now, 0.06. If you yeah. want to take a shot on a long-term U23 keeper, get him in your gallery and, and he'll pay off next year for sure, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I loved picking him up. Uh, I was, I literally had an alarm on my phone, so I didn't miss it because this was like the fourth one that they've auctioned, and I've not been able to buy him off of uh, open market yet. So I, I made sure I got in there and, and got him. And and yeah, Kalina is fantastic. So we're not saying that Marks is going to take his job potentially. I mean, maybe down the line he could, but um, Kalina is very, very good. This is more of an if Kalina gets hurt, Marks is going to be a very good keeper. He is not just a fill-in yep. type guy, and then. You know, who knows, two or three years from now, um, maybe he moves as a, as a you know, somebody picks him up that, that needs a keeper. Keep an eye on Cisniega because if there's teams out there, we talked about Toronto earlier with the Westbrook Bono not really working. There are some teams out there with some dicey keeper situations. Cisniega maybe gets a move in July just because he was kind of brought in to fight for the number one. Now he's finding himself number three. He is a serviceable keeper. I could see him potentially getting a move. We'll see. Yeah, maybe that's something we talk about on a future 
podcasts is, is different twos around the league that, that could get a move. Cause there's a few guys now that, that are, uh, are in that category. Um, we have one more thing to do here, which is the predictology. Um, so we're just going to kind of go through and, and, and read what, what they had from the last couple of week, or I guess last week. Um, so he had, uh, LAFC minus 1.5, which did not end up working out. Although LAFC did win, they did not win by two goals. Um, and it, he said Abobasi was crazy and should have had a hat trick by the time it was 2-2. Um, he said LAFC did win. Um, the play on Sporting Kansas City did not come off either. 59%, 15 shots, but only two on target. Kansas City looked dead and flat on their legs. He says he thinks they'll improve, but it wasn't this week. And then he so kindly says, although I was very much right on my New York Red Bulls tips, sorry, uh, with a 4-1 win against a taxiless DC. So at least he apologized for picking New York. Um, and we've we've kind of been through that. So next week, obviously, international break. There is a game, actually, uh, Vancouver against RSL. Um, he doesn't really like anything in this, uh, but he said he guesses he would pick a draw in this game. Um, Vancouver are kind of, you know, rising a little bit and they're a little bit better. At, they're a lot better at home, 37% better when they play at home, but RSL is a good team. So yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same kind of boat. I don't really have a good read on that game. RSL has really been playing well lately. Um, what do you guys think about this, this RSL Vancouver game next week? Yeah. I mean, I, I watched that a bit of the, uh, I don't know, tripping it too. And they, RSL looked brilliant yesterday. They, they absolutely dominated uh, the game. And that was without, um, Jefferson Savarino starting the game. When he came on, he made an impact. Did you see the same thing there, Trippin? You're not enough. Yep. He he almost scored one that was offside, but uh, he was making an impact, had a chance created. I think he racked up 11 AA points on so rare in about 20 minutes. So someone I've invested in recently, so I love to see that, and I would anticipate him getting in on the starting lineup over. Probably Michael Chang now goes to the bench behind Savarino. Although Chang did have an assist yesterday at, as RSL really did look great. And I would have to have them as favorites over the Whitecaps, even on the road. It, it Here's a, my, a, a question I would wonder, is a, is David Ochoa ever going to play for RSL again, or is it hmm. math all the way at this point? Because he's just, he's delivered the results. That's a tough one. I mean, Ochoa has had a really weird kind of six months, hasn't he, too? Because he was on the bench for Mexico during an RSL game, which was also yeah. kind of wild. For, for an exhibition uh, for the yeah. Mexican yeah, yeah I, I don't I don't really understand what's going on with Ochoa and I mean hopefully everything's okay with him in his, in his personal life and there's nothing you know going on there but um, yeah that's a weird one for sure I mean he's talented no doubt so at some point somebody's going to give him a chance but um, I see. yeah I'm, I'm good tripping. I think I think RSL are going to get a win they, they got a lot of um, what I like about him is got some diversity going forward meaning they got like Cordova up front who's like physical target man and then um, Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood. He's really like, he's not the most technical player, but he's really busy, really dynamic, like, you know, like getting in and around into spaces. And now if they can, they have uh, Ruiz playing from deep, very technical, serving in nice crosses. Uh, Maram's good delivery too. And now if they can add Savarino to that, they've got a lot of ways that they can hurt teams, both in behind, playing long from deep, balls from deep. And um, Severino too can do a bit on his own, so I think I think they're going to be one to watch. To be honest, don't sleep on Vancouver though. I got to plug a little bit on oh. Vancouver. They're coming. They're coming. It was it was a 
very, very bad start to the season, but it seems like they're finally starting to get things figured out a little bit. And they've got so much talent. Like Caicedo is so good. Dahomey is so good. Cavallini, who has been really much better this year, has gotten back into the rotation. Brian White, who was fantastic last year, now can't get on the field. Um, like they've got a lot of good pieces going forward. They just aren't great in the midfield. But Sebastian Berhalter is even kind of starting to develop as a, as a decent player. And playing in Vancouver is so, so hard, man. Last year, if you look at their splits, when they were playing quote-unquote home games at RSL, they were not very good. They go back to Vancouver, and they went on an absolute tear to make the playoffs. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting game. I mean, RSL has done much better than I thought they would. Um, RSL, I, I picked them along with San Jose and Inter-Miami as my worst teams of the, in, in the league, and, uh, and that really hasn't panned out. They're third in the West, so good for them. Um, they're, they're really getting the most out of their – out of their talent for sure. Um, but that was, uh, that was the next week's games presented by predictology. Everything will be linked in the show notes. If you want to get any further analytics from predictology. Um, so that's, that's pretty much it. Do you guys have any last minute thoughts here to, to wrap things up? And there's a couple of questions out there for tripping on the Twitter sphere. Right now that- yeah. Let's Ooh. rapid fire some questions real quick. That's yeah. a good one. I'll, I'll try not to them. drone on on tangents. Let's see. <laughs> Okay, so our good our good friend Orangefly, Bob, has asked, what are your expectations for Vinicius Mello? Will you be going after his super rare auction? Mello is going to come in and be a squad player. He's not someone who's going to push Swiderski out of the starting role for a starting striker. He's not really a, a winger type of player, better than the wingers we've already got going. So I think he's squad depth, someone who can be a little more dynamic than Daniel Rios as far as relieving Swiderski and as far as the super rare I might have to go for it I mean it's we're about two days away as we tape this we're two days away from the close of the auction I I'm a little ETH poor after I've just made some big investments recently but I did splurge on a lot of good Charlotte players I have every Charlotte card limited uh the 2022 and 2021 versions I have most of the rares not all I'm starting to pick up super rares as well I could use this mellow card, but I, my my top price for it is is pretty low. We'll see. Someone could outbid me on this easy. We'll we'll, we'll let you know in about thirty six to forty hours on that one. It's probably going to be Bob that outbids you. He um, does complete my. Uh, I have a, a few other guys that have that cross tattoo on the front of their neck though, like Vinny Mello does. So uh, there you go. I might have to get it just for that reason alone. Um, so we have one from Siege of the Day twenty three who wants to know when the Liga MX podcast is returning. They want to know your proudest ever moment in fantasy sports um, and how high up to being banned from the discord rank. Um, and then they want to know are people that don't collect for one club on soup on server actually they're weird people. Yeah. Uh, the league of MX podcast is a pod that I did for DraftKings back in my DraftKings days, just because there were pods for like EPL and MLS, but there was none for league MX. So I started one with a buddy. We did about 20 episodes and then lost interest, but it was fun. Uh, it's not coming back. Sorry, Siege. As for uh, collecting Charlotte cards and people that collect only one club, I'm I'm probably the anomaly there. I think people should collect their favorite clubs. I'm banking on SoRare still being here in five to seven years and some of these early old school cards starting to pick up some collectability value. So we'll see. For me, it's just a way that I have fun with the site is to collect Charlotte cards, many of which are useless in SO5. But 
with the it was kind of good timing because the uh, onset of specialist and underdog leagues actually gives a little bit more utility to some mm-hmm. of these deeper Charlotte cards that I have in my deck now. So that I just play them in that, and I have a lot of fun. And if they ever win the prizes, I'm I'm going to be very very happy. And what was his middle second question that CJ what, asked? What was your what was your proudest moment ever in the fantasy sports space? And how proudest high up does being banned from the Discord rank? Proudest fantasy moment probably goes to I would, let's make it so rare related, and it would be winning Julian Alvarez as my first ever award. Just you know when I I, I st- joined so rare and. February 21 and I grinded and grinded. I never won any rewards until the memor- this weekend, Memorial day, 21 uh, may of 21 was my first ever award. And I won, uh, I had a Philadelphia union stack with a few other guys and Casper scored, Jack Elliott scored. And I won Julian Alvarez. I, I created a little avatar, like a little alienized version of Julian Alvarez NFT and like, I love the guy. He, I, I should be, I should easily be selling him because he's going to Man City and his playing time is going to be very tough to predict. And he's just trading at like one ETH. I should sell him and reinvest that one ETH, you know, strategically in guys that can help me. But I'll never sell him. So he's he's my uh, he's the mascot of my club. Let's go, Julian, all the way. There you go. Love it. Um, we're gonna close with uh, a question from a legend, Quiff Quinney, who asked a question. And I'm going to try as hard as I can to do this in one in one try, but here we go. If Ben Bender was a bender, how many Ben Benders could Ben Bender bend if Ben Bender had to bend some Ben Benders? 69. That's a great answer. That's that's right. Verified. We've actually right. we've actually seen him bend that many benders. Um, yeah, awesome work. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. We appreciate the time and had a really great conversation here. Thanks for coming on. It's my honor. You guys are awesome. Keep doing what you do and Love that so rare uh, get some focus on the state side. You know, we're a small percentage of the user base, but we're growing every day. We're, de- we're definitely getting there. We'll we'll be there eventually. Eventually we'll get there. Well, have a good week, guys. Thanks for listening.